Hey, and welcome to Product Journeys. I'm Frank Leisner. And I'm Lachlan Robertson. We're both product owners stumbling our way through our product journey. We're out to meet amazing product people and learn a bit more about their skills and their experience. We want you to join us today in our conversation with Jamie Diamond. Jamie is a product manager at Zero with five years experience. He guides the efforts of the invoices team. Before Zero, he worked at TradeMe and had a brief stint in government with MSD. He enjoys leading teams and seeing people grow and develop in their roles, I especially love seeing product people succeed, and all the more if he's been able to provide some advice or feedback along the way. He lives in Tatai Bay with his wife and two young kids, and if he manages to escape the family for a bit, you might find him running the hills, swimming at the beach, or even on a surfboard. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. You're the first, which is very exciting. I guess we want to start with a bit of your background. So how did you get to where you are today? Well, I started my career actually in retail banking. And towards the end of that was a branch manager in a few different branches for the cooperative bank for about five years. And I I suppose I had a bit of a moment of truth in that job. One, One of my first moments of truth in my career where I decided it wasn't what I wanted to keep doing, didn't suit me, and and started exploring different options. And that resulted in me shifting to a business analyst role with BNZ. And I ended up working there for a couple of years. And that was a pretty broad role. They didn't want to pay me like a proper project manager or business analyst, so I was cheap. But I did a lot of those jobs. I did project management stuff. I did business analyst stuff. I did change management stuff even. Just lots of little internal projects. I had a bit of a moment of truth there at BNZ2 because I'd just been doing this really painful waterfall project. At that point, I was like, there's got to be a better way. And BNZ sent me on an agile course, and that was great. And yeah, then looked around what companies in Wellington are, are really good at the agile stuff, and that was trade me. So began with them as a business analyst. That was great. I was there for five years. I was working on this product, which was all about trade me booking careers. So when you sell something uh, as a customer, you can book the courier through the TradeMe platform and um, do it all online, great prices. This had been something set up by this product manager named Simon. And after I'd been there for a month, he said, hey, Jamie, I'm actually leaving. So you're going to have to take on this product uh, and it's going to be yours. So that was the start of it, of me being a product manager. I, I got thrown in the deep end a bit with quite a complex product. There were courier partners and systems that were still a little bit janky and we had to work on and quite a few things to, to pick up and learn. I ran it for a, a couple of months and then his job was advertised. I applied for it and got it. So it was really more or less falling into it in a lot of ways. I'm curious, banking, trade me, if those sort of more money orientated or service and now at zero industries appeal to you, how'd you get into that sort of field? I've always been reasonably savvy with my money, I would say. And so when I first started in retail banking, I felt quite good about that career because it was a way you could really materially help people with their finances. You know, we had some people that were in some really sticky spots and we, we really helped them. And in a similar sense, I quite like that aspect with zero and that, you know, we're helping small businesses succeed. We're helping them get paid in invoices. That stuff's cool. So I definitely like that. And it plays well to 
how I feel about finances and, and my own banking and, and finance knowledge. If there's an area that another area that you'd like to work in completely different, what would that be? Because again, you sort of fall into things. Yeah, you do fall into things in life. Eh? I've got a little bit of an abiding niggle that I would love to use my powers for good, as it were. I'm a bit of a greenie. I really care about environmental issues. And if I could find a way of combining that with what I do in my day job, I think that'd be pretty cool. It's pretty awesome. That's I awesome. feel like those um, values are really becoming more and more important, I think, for people when they're aligning. For sure. Um, what they're yeah, I think as you get a bit older, you think about this stuff a bit more too. Maybe like when I was a bit younger, I was just about climbing the ladder and the next big thing. And now I've sort of been there and done that a bit. And, and yeah, those values-driven decisions are a lot more meaningful to me. And my values have changed as well. Yeah. The last question on your background. Did you you go to university or a polytech or anything like that before getting into these jobs? Yeah, so yes but no is the answer to that really. I, I did go to uni. I was doing a chemical engineering degree. I did about cool. a year of that and gone to the second year and found it horribly boring. Figured out that I didn't really like chemistry because I had a good chemistry teacher and then decided I'd do physics. Stupid idea. I don't like chemistry. I'll do <laughs> physics. That was my thing at the time. So I failed miserably at that. At the time, I worked at a hotel... I ended up working there full-time, and then I went overseas for a bit and did my OE for about a year and a half, and it was after that I got the job at the bank. So, yeah, never really made any go of it in terms of any degree, to be honest. Mm. No, that's, that's totally okay. I understand that chemistry sentiment. I did that for a little bit at uni as well, and <laughs> sidestepped out of that pretty quick, so I get it. <laughs> Got to try these things, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I think I discovered that I was a person that learnt really well by doing and by by example and by getting in the thick of things. That theoretical university rote learning of stuff really just murdered me. Like it got to second level chemistry and I remember I had to like rote learn all these different equations, not equations, chemical reactions and how they worked out and that, I just couldn't do that. I couldn't see any purpose to it. It was like, I'm going to learn this, I'm never going to apply it. So yeah, probably think about my learning a bit more these days and with that lens. I like that. Nice. Um, we'll switch gears now into the more product stuff thing, but thank you for the background. It's really useful. As a product manager, how do you describe what you do to the average person on the street? What is product management? It's always a battle. I definitely think about my audience. So I say things like, I work with teams of people to build great software and that tends to satisfy most people maybe if it's someone that knows a bit more about technology or business i might say things like you know it's balancing the needs of the customer the technology and the business that classical kind of product is a triangle argument and then i might talk a little bit about the strategic nature of product you know thinking about the competitor environment and the product we have and how that fits with customers and i've found more often than not i, I keep it pretty simple and, and that seems to satisfy people and that's probably all they need to know i build software oh yeah cool sweet the, and has that changed over the, your years of working as a product manager like is the actual job description changing i mean i've probably got lazier describing it to people um yeah maybe my perception of it is, has changed a little bit I, I don't think i've even found a great definition of it externally either tokes the product coach in Wellington, he talks about it being someone that increases the ROI of teams they work with. And that's yeah. kind of cool. Like that like really sums it up. But it's pretty dry if you're honest. Say, oh geez, I increase ROI. Woo. Yay. Totally. Especially if you don't know what ROI is or someone <laughs> talking to someone who's like, well what? <laughs> um 
Gibson Biddle's one's quite good. Create, imagine enhancing products that customers love in hard to copy ways. Customers love it. Does something for the company and it's kind of unique. So that's quite cool. But then I've always felt like you don't always get to do that as a product manager either. You don't always get to do something unique or you don't always get to do something that delights the customer. You might be working on well, UI mod in zero, which is great <laughs> and we should do it, but it doesn't delight the customer. It, you know, it builds a product that does more for us and gives them a slightly better front end, you know, for example. So that can totally. be hard to reconcile with what you do. Uh, I recently read a book and it talked about the primary role of a manager being an agent for change. And I thought that was kind of cool. I'm not quite sure what I might do with that in terms of product management, but I just thought you are really an agent for change, working with your team and seeking to bring about change in technology. And I think there's something in that because I think if you're not somehow instituting change with the team you're working with or with the product, you're probably not being that effective. If you're just status quo, keeping as it is, if the the project comes your way and you don't, you know, define it better or, or find out what the customer needs and change the path, but somehow I don't think you've done that well, you know. If you just, mm. if, you're probably just a project manager, actually, because you're probably just building the widgets, as you've been told. Yeah. yeah. I, I really like that because, for me, product is a lot about that external customer, right, and delivering value to them and making their lives better. So, like, the what's that change you're creating, the change of behavior and the actual thing you're trying to do for that customer. So that's a really cool way of framing that. I'm curious what is one product tool that you always carry with you in your toolbox, no matter what product or project you're working on? I don't think of a tool as such. I think of a concept being clarity and focus for people. And I think about that when I'm thinking about working with a team and defining objectives and charting a path forward for a product. I have the clarity of what we're trying to do and and you, you get that from data, you get that from your customers and then you need to impart that to the people you work with. And focus, I'm kind of doing two here, sorry, I'm cheating a bit. But the focus part, I think, you just need to get stuff out of the way for people to do good work. People do work when you can tighten their sphere of influence and what they have to worry about. So as much as you can in product, bring the objectives down, bring the goal down, cut it up, and just make it a lot more succinct. Yeah, I feel like that should almost be applied across not just product, almost anyone anything. really yeah. should. Yeah, anything. But it actually should. That... And, and, you know, I think that's a, that's one of the um, funny things about product management is if you if you really do boil it down that much, you're probably applying a lot of soft skills that could make you a good politician. No, maybe not. <laughs> Lots of different things, you know, because I think if you boil it down to what goes wrong in, in anything, it's often miscommunication or lack of focus, right? You know? Definitely. Yeah. So clarity and focus perhaps it's the product manager's owner's primary responsibility for that, but you work in a team, right? Like it's obviously you need other people to help you with that. Have you had like occasions when it hasn't worked as well or you haven't had that clarity? Could you talk through just any of those? It's probably hard to find specific, but I think you almost have to assume that things are unclear and people don't have focus because it's not a one and done thing as well. You don't just do it once. You have to keep doing it. I don't think I can come up with a specific example about when it's gone wrong, but it, it has. You yeah, know, yeah. I've, I've had people go off in different directions and I've done yeah. it myself too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. But to, to reframe that then, just a slightly different question. How do you know that you do have clarity? How do you know it's working? Yeah, I think when it comes back at you a little bit. So working with one of my product owners, we were defining the 
objectives and goals for our project and he actually took it and, and, and kind of gave it back to me in a slightly different way so we talked about what we we're doing for customers and not external customers but internal ones and in this case i think i'd framed it like letting our teams develop in a reliable system and they can be ambitious for their product development and build great things something like that and he actually put it back to me as oh it's kind of looking after our future selves oh wow that's good you know so when you have someone sort of come back with a different version of what you've said and almost improve on it that's great or, or maybe you see a decision made that is based on that kind of those bounds you see all that focus you've given i like as well that you say that it's not one and done because i think often people think that you've got your okrs sorted say it once and everybody knows you're on track but actually coming back and even over communicating but yeah looking after your future self is also really good hmm. yeah not my like not that. my quote Nico. i can't no. take that <laughs> so good it's a great one well to perhaps go the opposite of your future self um looking back at your past what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned in your journey and product so far i think being pretty curious about things and being a little bit feisty of things that I've, I've learned to, to do and be. So when I think about things that haven't gone well and I think about things that I regret a bit over the years, it's times when I've maybe taken something as assumed or taken something as a given and not really questioned it, not challenged it. And if I'd thought about these things and sort of dug a bit deeper, it might not be that I might have changed the outcome. You know, I might have been given a project and just had to do it, for example, like a fee change. I don't know if you fee changes and nobody loves those. You know, trade me needs to make more money. Sorry, trade me. We're going to raise the fees and you, you know, that's the project you do it. Uh, you know, but but actually digging into some of the whys might have helped me feel, feel at least a bit better about it. But I think there's been other times where I've, I've challenged things and through challenging something have maybe uncovered some assumptions I've had maybe I've had some missing information and so I've actually I'm actually not feeling so good about something because I'm missing something and so by challenging things I've found that I've had really great conversations that have you know given me clarity and, and Pat's given clarity on the other side as well and there have been times when I've, I've come up with a worry or a concern and, and you know, it's been genuine and that's raised a risk as well so digging in there and, and just thinking about what if you've got a niggle try and find ways of scratching that itch and and find ways that you can uncover what might be causing you that that little niggle because it's like your gut instinct right trusting that and acting on that being a bit feisty and, and you know if you get pushed back once maybe try again don't just take the first answer or the first pushback because often people can have a bit of a reaction to challenge they go oh no sorry you probably might need to try a couple of times I really like that. Curious and feisty. Are you naturally curious and feisty or is it something that you've developed through realising that? Hmm. Probably okay on the feisty part. I haven't had too much trouble fronting up to people and challenging things. The curious part, maybe needing to still work on that a bit. You have to always roll with assumptions and take things as a given at times. You can't dig into everything. It's about knowing when to dig in a bit is the real trick, and I'm not going to claim I've got that right. Are there any tips in terms of product where you think, I don't know, what might be red flags that you've come across that you've learnt through think, going through that experience? Yeah, I think you've just got to be really sensitive to 
other people and how they react to things. And so it's not just listening to your own gut instinct, but paying attention to the people around you and how they might feel about things. So, you know, maybe you're articulating a, a goal for a project you're on and you can see people aren't really into it. Or you hear sort of whisperings, you know, you really need to dig into that. You can't just let that slide because a lot of people won't speak up, right? Another one is, you know, just having a happy team that's doing well. And, you know, maybe you've got a bit of a sense of one of the two of the team members not getting on and you thought, oh, they'll work it out. And, you know, I had a case like that and it didn't work out. And I wished I'd really found out what was going on and tried to address it. I've had, I've had cases like that before. So just don't let niggles go away, you know, dig into them a bit. That's awesome. I think I'm experiencing that at the moment and digging into it, I feel like it's just so important for success this year so yeah sometimes awesome. you open a can of worms but sometimes oh, yeah but it's worth it <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the thing that i was thinking about and something i sort of struggle with in my day is balancing time in a way and being curious and digging into things i find one of the hard parts as a product person is actually having the both mental space but actually just time in your day to be curious is that something you've struggled with or have any pro tips as to how do you do that (laughs) i think my pro tip would be you'll never get it right you'll never feel satisfied and you just need to own that and do your best Mm. because you'll never feel like you have all the time to listen to all the customer interviews you'd like to or dig into all the data you'd like to or improve that process that's so bad but look you just live with it and do the same thing every week you never tick off all those things you just have to keep going back to what the most important ones are and build in the time so you're getting that bit of balance. So whatever works for you, whether it's blocking that time to, yeah, you know, be curious and actually just make sure you've got the headspace. And I think it's not just blocking time for specific things, but even just having time out as well, I find really valuable. So making sure I've got those blocks of an hour where I might not have anything specific to do and I might just dig into a few sort of smaller tasks I've got, but then, you know, I might, become curious about something else and and dig into something else altogether and just follow that for a little while. So just, you know, following your nose on something that's interesting and having, having space for that too, if you can. Yeah. I really like that. Thanks. Yeah. I've heard that a bit recently as well, listening to different podcasts and they're like, just an hour in your day. Mm. Aside, narrow your day. Especially Doesn't in like the Zoom, is. like Zoom back to back days, right? It's like, it's, exhausting. it's a trap. Yeah. It's exhausting. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Then I suppose as a, a product owner looking to move into a PM role, and we've talked about skills a little bit, um, if you could pick out a skill or a couple of skills, what do you think the key ones that you think product owners should think about? I reckon one big one would be getting comfortable with putting your ideas out on display. And so there's a couple of aspects to that and that if you think about getting an idea out there you've really got to be thinking about your audience and what where they're at who you're trying to engage with what the right format is all those things so getting a concept out there it could be anything it could be um, a problem it could be a risk it could be a strategy it could be a roadmap you know whatever it is but just just understanding what you're you're trying to get out there and what the right format is for a start and then just being comfortable with, with feedback and challenge getting used to putting something out there that's kind of half-baked, like getting your version 0.1 out there for people to comment on and getting good feedback on that before you write the the rest of the 90% of it. I've heard early in my career deliver little early and often. I quite like that, just to get that constant little steer. 
but but that's uncomfortable because you are probably putting out pretty sometimes malformed ideas if you like you know before they're before they're ready but it's the best way to to get the right product in the end if you like and that putting it out there is that to anybody or particular people i think it depends on the situation but i think you you would pick and choose like i think you know you'd, you'd start small and go wider like if you're writing maybe like a product brief or a strategy you'd start with other product people right someone that is in your realm a little bit more and, and gets where you're eating so might be able to come in with assumptions and and maybe a level of understanding so you, you should have a sort of a trusted group that you can rely on and bounce ideas off nice i always think of my manager but that's maybe not always the good first call i think a good thing is too that if you think about wanting to be a pr or a pm you can actually do that stuff even if you're not at the moment so i often say to people that want to be product owners or product managers find something that sucks where you work right now and fix it or even just propose to fix it even if it doesn't get fixed you know write a business case write a, a document get some people on board try and sell your idea because if you can walk into a product interview and say look i'm not a product owner right now but i found this crappy process in our business and you know i talked to the boss about it and i wrote up a proposal and i got people on board. wouldn't that be awesome wouldn't you say that person actually could be a product owner so that's often oh. something I say to yeah there we go often say that to potential people that want to get into the role mm. and i like that because like for me one of the interesting paths into product is a lot of people transition into it from other things so that's quite a good call out around you know it's really it's about solving problems and mm. being able to communicate and influence people to fix <laughs> or do those things yeah that's definitely we can't do it alone we, we can't solve these problems on our own so you need to engage a team you need to sell sell the concept sell the idea sometimes yeah. upwards sometimes downwards often both you know often to the higher ups but often to the team you're working with as well yeah bring I everyone like on the journey Indeed. and i've also interested in the feedback side of things because that's something that i think we talk a lot about at zero you know feedback give people feedback get feedback but it's really hard actually to get tangible feedback and i'm wondering if you've had any experiences in teams where you've found something that works really well for that i think you need to tackle it a couple of ways so i think there's a time and a place for putting something out there and getting people to say like write comments on a document uh, and that can be a good start but actually then also following up with some kind of meeting or catch up where people can give you feedback verbally too and, and then have the ability to bounce that back in the moment I think if you can, it's good to do both because I think you'll get different types of feedback then. And you also get people that maybe engage more with a written document, but those that are also more verbal and it might bounce off other people talking as well. So it's not just about you, it's kind of about the, the audience as well and how they respond and how they like to give feedback and, and like to work on problems. Yeah, that's great. I like coming back to the audience again, which is a thread running through <laughs> last big question that we have is for you in your career thus far what would you say is your greatest accomplishment i had this product i mentioned before the book of career products at trade me so again that was just where um, as a customer you could sell something on trade me and quote a price and then the person at the other end would say yep i'll buy this thing with this price i live here 
and it would all just happen through the trading system really easy. So that had existed for a while and I kind of picked that up halfway through. But we soon realized that, well, this has awesome pricing. We've got a, a much better UI than the courier companies themselves. Why would we not open this up for anyone? And one of my developers got really worked up about this and actually in a hackathon half built it. And so we thought, sweet, we'll, we'll just do this. It was a tricky sell. We pointed out that it was um, going to be a good earner. It would actually increase engagement with the trade me platform itself. So while people might not be coming in to sell something and then career it, if they were just coming in using the system to career it, well, maybe they would spot something they wanted to buy along the way. Hey, wouldn't that be great? So we had to do a real sales job. And in the end, yep, the um, management team agreed to it. So yeah, we launched it. And so hot tip, a lot of people don't know. And this would be the one failure out of the whole project because we unfortunately didn't get a great marketing budget to uh, market it. But you can jump on Trade Me and you can book to send anything anywhere in the country from any point. And the prices were awesome. People loved it. We just got heaps of great feedback. It actually really grew the platform. It grew the usage. And we actually found out as well through the process that there were people like sneakily doing it. So another little interesting thing in product is you've really got a great product when you find people doing something in a really sneaky way. We actually found out that people were setting up fake auctions or selling things to themselves and then using that to book the courier instead of doing it through that existing platform because they just wanted to send something. If we'd spotted that earlier, we would have known, hey, we've got something great because people are kind of hacking our system to do it. So let's just let them do it legitimately and then you've got something quite good. That is awesome. And so you only realised that afterwards? I think we realized that about halfway through. I think I was looking at some data and I was like, this person sold 12 of the same thing and who bought it? The same person? So some, it just seemed like really suspicious. And when I dug into it, I was like, oh, I can see what's happening here. And I think I actually called one of them and they were really open about it. They were like, oh yeah, we just love your service. We wish we could do it for anything. So we've just been setting up these fake auctions. I was like, kind of violating our terms and conditions, but yeah, we've got something (laughs) coming for you. (laughs) I love that. You mentioned that it started with like a hackathon idea and then obviously going through to converting to being an actual product. What timeline are we talking about there? And I guess the in particular part I'm interested, like convincing management along the way. Yeah, it took a while. It would have been six months or more, I would say, off the top of my head. I had this one particular developer, the same one, and he was great. He was a really onto it guy, really understood product and really understood customer needs and we use that to build these great hackathon prototypes and he got really frustrated as well by stuff not being picked up so that's kind of the flip side of hackathons so i was really really trying to drive it from that perspective too um it was fortunate in that case it was fairly succinct i think from memory it was a couple of months worth of work it wasn't a significant investment it was a diversion from what we were doing but not a not a massive one and i think i worked my roadmap so i neatly slotted in between a couple other bits of work and looked just like a nice. no-brainer he had done the estimating and so we had a really good idea of what we're on the hook for i could say you know yep here's the investment here's the outcome yeah Sweet. i guess that six months delay is effectively getting the management sign off to commit the resources to doing that but was there anything else in between those steps it was just all convincing or there more prototypes or i think in particular for that hackathon they actually had a, a designer come on board too and help out so he'd done some sort of concepts too so we went into it with quite a lot trade me used a one pager they called it. it's just a light business case document if you like so i spent the time writing that up i think i might have got kicked back once and i might have had to bring it up again so it definitely wasn't just a yes but go for it there was a lot of pushback and at the time i had a head of product that 
really fought for it because I think cool. the the knee-jerk response of management at the time was, nah, we don't need that. And he, mm. he really pushed for it. So I think sometimes you've got to have someone at the big table willing to go into bat for you. Yeah, awesome. And and so just to extend that, when it got fully built, it was out in the wild, it was an, an overnight success, or did it still take a bit of refine, refining to get um, Yeah, it, I think it was pretty successful fairly early on. As I say, my one regret was that we didn't manage to get any marketing budget to go with it. So I feel like if we had promoted it, it would have taken off a lot more. It's still not that widely known. Even the core product's still not that widely known, to be fair, given the limited audience that we promoted it to it did well but it, it could have done better if we'd actually had more budget to push it on still sounds like a success mm. <laughs> yeah yeah no, that's awesome. cool. all right so we're coming to the end um we're going to move on to some rapid fire questions what is a book or article that you currently recommend i must confess i really don't listen to or read many products things i read randomly and broadly but one I did enjoy recently was Let My People Go Surfing by Eve Schoenard, I think you say his name. He's the CEO of Patagonia. I loved that because I loved what Patagonia was all about. I didn't really know until I read it. Super environmentally conscious and even environmental activist style of company. And that value flows down to everything they build and everything they do. And he goes into the whole history of of that and how that formed. So that was really interesting and, and reflected my values. Um, and even just that's how he runs the company. You know, it's not yeah. doesn't have shareholders, so they don't have to worry about justifying anything. It's a it's a smaller company, and they sort of stay smaller to reduce their impact. They even tell people don't buy our stuff, buy less of our that's things. Right. Can you imagine that? You know, um, so that really fascinated me how the values flowed through. It's an Love amazing it. company. Yeah, they do. It's so counterintuitive as well because it's almost always about growth, and they've done quite a different model. Yeah, they've grown, but only at their own terms kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, cool. Um, Go to podcast. Uh, Do you listen to podcasts or anything of that nature? I don't too often, but one I do enjoy is The School of Greatness. There's an American footballer, ex-American footballer, and I forget his name. That's on Spotify. And again, from the perspective of not listening to product stuff, but listening really broadly and randomly, he brings in all sorts of people he brings in actors philosophers scientists business writers just anyone you can think of to talk about more often sort of interesting and inspiring things he'd have someone talking about how they became a millionaire something as sort of basic as that but other people that would talk about the latest neuroscience on why you're feeling tired and how you can feel better just really interesting stuff so um, there's tons on there and i think what's cool is you can you can pick and choose and and get some interesting things that often are quite inspiring Awesome. That's going on my list, my long list. What are you grateful for? I live in Tahi Bay, and so often I'm really grateful for living in New Zealand for a start, but also really grateful to live out here because um, I can drive five minutes to the beach, I can go for a swim. There's Fittiro Park up and behind where we live, and I can go running up there. And you're probably feeling that all the more because my family and I are moving to Ireland in April, so I'm feeling a little bit nostalgic maybe ahead of leaving so yeah feeling grateful for that and i think i'll miss it when i'm when i'm overseas Ireland's great though i've spent a bit of time there but <laughs> yeah definitely oh lots to look forward to there but uh yeah we'll miss we'll miss the day i think this scene yeah. might be the same temperature <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well i don't know apparently it gets the sea gets warmer in ireland in winter i've heard really <laughs> yeah something to do with the currents i've got to check that out that could be a myth love it
to bring us home, any final takeaways or calls to action or just final bits of knowledge to impart? Yeah, a conversation I often have with people in general and product people is if something seems hard, it's probably not you. It's probably just genuinely hard. I think often we come into a new situation and this happens all the time in product because you're often tackling new things and it can just seem like a slog. And often sort of I've observed my own feelings about things and thought, am I just stupid? Am I just am I just dumb? You know, like, I, I just don't get this. Often in the beginning, things are just genuinely hard and it would be hard for anyone, right? And yes, someone might go and talk about it later and do this presentation. It seems like they just breeze through it. Bullshit. You know, it was hard for them in the beginning. So, you know, think about your own reaction to something. And if something seems hard, it probably just genuinely is. Or maybe, or maybe, you know, something's not right as well going back to the gut instinct thing yeah if you feel like a beginner that's that's probably fine and and you'll get through it that's awesome yeah and especially with like added that onto the curiosity thing if you ask the question there'll be probably a number of people in the room who'll have be experiencing that at the same time 100 percent. yeah yeah love that that's awesome that's everything we had so thank that's you jamie this has been awesome thanks it's been fun Really good. Thank you so much.